Good morning. I'm going to read Psalm 46. I'll be reading ESV version. That is close to our old King James version. So I'll be reading that. You can follow along. There is a Bible in front of you. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives away, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make the glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdom totter. He utters the voice. The earth melts. Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes the wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge and our fortress. Amen. Dismissed to the worship training class. There's nothing more encouraging than stepping up to the platform and 75 people just run away. <laughs> I'm Pastor Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here at Brandywine Valley Church. Uh, we're so excited you're here with us to worship today. Would you pray with me as we uh, continue to give this time to God? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can gather here so freely, so publicly, without fear or concern. And God, we ask that you would give us the focus to use this entire hour for your glory, that, that our attention would not be diverted, that we would not be distracted by concerns or worries or what's happening this afternoon, but that we would be able to, to give you all of us for this hour in our, in our worship through song, in our worship through giving, through our worship, through studying your word, our worship, even in fellowshipping with one another, God. We give this to you for your glory, in your name. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German Lutheran pastor and theologian known for his uh, resistance to the Nazis and Hitler's persecution of the Jews, something that ultimately led to his own execution in 1945, uh, wrote in his book on the Psalms, whenever the Psalter is abandoned, 
An incomparable treasure vanishes from the Christian church. With its recovery will come unsuspected power. I love those two words, unsuspected power, that he describes the Psalms with. Because there is unsuspected power in the Psalms. It's it's why we're drawing on them over the course of this eight-week series that we're calling The Antidote. Uh, Pastor Nate spoke last week of how the Psalms give us a third way to engage with our emotions. Rather than detach from them or allow them to control us, the Psalms show us how to pray our emotions, to express them in all their raw honesty to God, and to find the antidote in Him to the aches and longings of our soul. Over the course of these weeks, we're looking at an array of emotions and feelings common to the human experience. Last week, we looked at impulsivity. We'll also be looking at hopelessness, bitterness, shame, revenge, uncertainty. And today, we're looking at fear, the emotion we're diving into. The American Psychological Association defines fear in part by saying, it is a basic, intense emotion aroused by the detection of imminent threat involving an immediate alarm reaction. They also note in the APA that the terms fear and anxiety are often used interchangeably. That we use uh, different words sometimes to describe what we could define as fear or anxiety. That these ancient collected psalms, written by a number of authors between 2,500 and 3,500 years ago, have unsuspected power when it comes to our fear and our anxiety. Athanasius wrote in the 4th century, when you have fled to God for refuge and are delivered from the afflictions around about you, if you wish to give thanks to God and recount his kindness towards you, you have Psalm 46. The psalm we're going to dive into over these next, I was going to say a few minutes, but let's be honest, it's going to be more than a few minutes. It's not how I roll. Uh, Verse 1 of Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Let's talk about this for a moment. Let's, I want to make sure that the weight of these words are clear. Right? That, that the reader, uh, back when this was written, would have, these words would have taken them immediately back to the flood. Right? A threat that erased life on earth. These images of earthquakes, mountains crumbling, Oceans roaring and surging all paint the picture of humanity's existence being threatened in dramatic ways, in the most extreme way. In fact, even in pagan religions at the time, the gods would cower in fear of chaotic waters. The author of Psalm 46 is painting the most terrifying picture he can. Trumper Longman III Uh, A theologian and commentator writes, while mountains are images of security and permanence, the waters are forces of chaos. Thus, to envision the mountains being overwhelmed by the waters is a metaphor that points to the ultimate nightmare, or as we might say today, 
all hell is breaking loose. Which is an emotion each of us can identify with, right? That the circumstances may be different. The moments might be unique to us or not that trigger moments of extreme fear or anxiety or ongoing fear. But that feeling of all hell breaking loose is one that we can identify with that that part of the goal here that this author is trying to give us is that, hey, whatever is going on, this is what fear feels like. Augustine wrote in response to these opening verses of Psalm 46, there are many kinds of tribulation. And in all of them, we must seek refuge in God. Whether the trouble concerns our income, our bodily health, some danger threatening those we love, or something we need to support our life. I really appreciate his words when he wrote this. Because 1,500, 1,600 years later, he wrote this a long time ago, those are still oftentimes our fears, aren't they? That this psalm, Psalm 46, was written in response to fear of overwhelming circumstances, overwhelming enemies, And while the details may change, the human condition remains the same. The fears we have today are oftentimes similar to the fears they had then. We are afraid of enemies, terrorists, danger lurking around the corner. Fear over finances, health, or a thousand other possibilities. This psalm was written just as much for us as it was for them thousands of years ago. Chapman University, uh, over the last decade, has been surveying Americans and tracking fears in our country. Uh, They identify the top fears for 2022 in a list they published. Uh, Some of the top 10 include corrupt government officials, people I love becoming seriously ill, Russia using nuclear weapons, people I love dying, U.S. becoming involved in another world war, pollution of drinking water, not having enough money for the future, economic financial collapse, pollution of oceans, rivers, lakes, biological warfare. Right? That, that there's these, all these different fears, but they have some similarities to the ones that Augustine listed as well. I kept reading down the list of the fears of 2022, uh, and when I got to number 86... You guys know me. Uh, I just thought it was worth mentioning. Number 86, uh, the, high, the 86th highest fear was zombies. <laughs> I just, I got to be honest, it has nothing to do with the sermon. I just found it fascinating that enough people believe that zombies are a credible threat. <laughs> Even though science says it's, you know, scientifically impossible to happen, but enough of them think it is that it made the list. Uh, most of the fears were pretty legit. But um, here's the thing, though. Overall, I wasn't really surprised at what I was reading on the list. Global, national fears, health fears, money fears, conflict, violence, crime. Last week, we did an anonymous survey with the students. Uh, we told them we wanted to get some of their insights as we are working on this sermon series. And about 70 of them filled out 
uh, surveys for us. And we asked the question, what, one of the questions we asked was, what is your generation's greatest fear? And overwhelming, like, uh, I was surprised at just how many put essentially the same word for the most part. Certainly the same idea, rejection. Fear of being left out, fear of being cut off. Right, that there's this massive fear, which a lot of us can identify with as well. Some of them also noted fears of failure, of not being able to get into college, fear of gun violence, fear of not being able to have a livable wage when they move into the adult world. These are the students that come here, that are part of this body. And where am I going with all of this? It's a great question. Fear is timeless. Right? Our circumstances may change, our technology may change, but as we look at these different writers from over the millennia, and the fears of today, we see the same reoccurring fears. That there's something about the human condition that reacts to the same things, which is why this ancient psalm is so relevant to us today. Our world can't solve these problems. It's why we still struggle with them thousands of years later. But God is giving us something here in his word to help us. Verse 1 again, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. God is our refuge, our strength, ready to help. So we will not fear. What's the antidote to fear? Now I want to clarify this with, uh, for some of us, the antidote is found in Scripture and through the help of others, like counselors and trained professionals, right? Depending on the level of our need. But what we're going to focus on today is two pieces that we see in Psalm 46 as, a, as two parts of the antidote to fear. The first one is this, radical trust in God. We will not fear is radical and trust. It means recognizing that when hell breaks loose, when all things seem to go wrong, that as overwhelming as whatever the source of our fear is, we have someone in our corner more powerful than anything that we might be afraid of in this world. Right? That, that anything that could come against us cannot stand against him. And, and why is this radical? Because it goes against everything in our culture. Our culture would tell us to fight back, right? To, to arm ourselves up, to push back, to throw the first punch, or maybe to run, to hide, to cut people off. And what we're going to see here is something totally different than what our culture oftentimes tells us to do when we're threatened. When I think of radical trust, I'm reminded of Jesus' words in Luke 18, 17. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Which brings a couple questions up to mind, right? What does like a child mean? I, I don't think it means childish, 
right? God isn't looking for a bunch of childish adult followers. But I think there is something to childlike faith that we see reoccurring in the scriptures. Let, let me, what comes to mind for me is uh, when Heather and I, we had our oldest son, our first son, Micah, when we first had him, he was just a little guy. He's not so little anymore. Uh, he's pretty tall, not as tall as me. I just feel like that's worth mentioning. Uh, but when he was a little guy, just, you know, like a, maybe a little, I don't know, a year, year and a half old, whatever it was, uh, we lived in Connecticut, just outside of New York City, in, uh, in a very, you know, highly whatever area, in a log cabin, which I got to be honest, I did not see coming. Uh, that wasn't in any of my, I'm like the tech nerd, and that didn't, uh, but, but we lived in this two-story log cabin, and I was a youth pastor at a church there, and uh, you may not know this, but there is uh, a national log cabin day. It happens every year. I think it's in June. And so we used to throw a party at our house every year for the youth group on National Log Cabin Day. And it just made sense. And, and so on this particular day, I was standing out on the porch with, uh, you know, Micah. I was holding Micah. And, and the porch, this is important, was on the second story. And uh, the teenage guys were playing basketball. We had a basketball hoop against the house around the corner of the house, right? So the porch in the corner. And Micah wanted to see what they were doing. And so I had Micah, and I leaned over the edge. Yeah, yeah. That, that was kind of like Heather's response, but much louder. Uh, she was not impressed with my desire to let our son experience joy. Her and a couple other mothers there yelled at me. I don't think that was a great idea. Like, what if they startled me? The, uh, there was a bush down below. So, but they're all panicked, so I back up. I'm like, I got him. I'm pretty strong. The, uh, I mean, I wouldn't have him now. Uh, but, but later I was kind of laughing, and I was thinking about it, that it, it was so funny to me that on the one hand, like, they, some of these adults freaked out. But Micah, it, it was like it never even occurred to him to be worried. He was like, I'm in my dad's arm. My dad's the coolest. I am. Uh, in the years since then, I may have dropped him once or twice. So we don't, he doesn't let me do that anymore. But, but in that moment, I was still pretty infallible. The, uh, but here's what was fascinating to me, right, is that for him... In that moment of, you know, admittedly some danger, he didn't feel fear. It didn't occur to him to worry because he knew where he was. See, what's faith like a child? It's, it's radical trust. It's reaching a point in which fear doesn't hold us back because we're in God's arms. It doesn't mean that we're oblivious to fear. Right? That would be unrealistic to say you are never going to feel fear again. But we can reach a point where we have a perspective of this is a fear that doesn't need to control me. John Calvin put it this way in a sermon he gave in 1561 on Psalm 46. We know that in the midst of our fear, we will not be oppressed with fear because we have sheltered ourselves in God 
and have our refuge in the help he has promised us. <clears throat> Excuse me. I love allergy season. See, radical trust allows us to be in fearful situations, but not oppressed with the fear. Radical trust allows us to have the confidence in God that a young child has in their parent. How do we build this radical trust? Let's read on as the author describes God's protective presence. In verse 4, a river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come, see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And as this ancient hymn is building in intensity, the voice changes. It goes from this third person to God speaking for himself. In verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. God speaks and he commands us to be still. Scripture, scripture is overflowing with passages of God telling us to fear not. Right? It, it, there's over a hundred different passages that use the phrase fear not. There's something like 500 passages that deal with the topic of fear. Why? Because God knows us, right? That this is an issue we wrestle with. And so when God knows that this is our constant struggle, that anxiety is constantly attacking us, what I love is that his words, be still, are words with a promise. That if we be still, we will know him. See, what's the antidote to fear? How do we build radical trust to get us through times of fear? Be still. Be still. We know from a practical standpoint that taking a step back to breathe, to slow down, is good for us. Right? We know from a practical standpoint that we will make better decisions if we step back, if we breathe, if we give ourselves a moment of stillness. It calms our emotions. It slows our heart rate. Conversely, we also know that reacting in the moment doesn't always, you know, like how many of us can look back at moments of panic decisions or reactionary moments and go, man, like I really made some good decisions in that moment. Like I have had to make up for and undo and apologize for a lot of reactionary decisions in my life. Why? Because when our emotions are boiling over, when fear has the control of us, rationality can go out the window. We live in that moment and we lose all sense of perspective. And God is saying, be still. We know from a practical human standpoint that being still is a better way to operate and make decisions. But there's more to it than that. There's more significant spiritual impact going on with being still than just that. These two simple words, 
contained power, that unsuspected power that Bonhoeffer was talking about. One commentator writes that the ancient Hebrew that they came from has the sense of cease and desist. Like a parent separating two struggling children or a teacher breaking up a fight in the schoolyard. He goes on to write, only when we cease our own frantic activity can we begin to experience God's acting for us. Only then, says the psalmist, can we know that he is God. I love that imagery, to cease from struggling in a schoolyard. And here's why I love it. Uh, No offense to those of you still in schoolyards from time to time, but, but if I look back to the conflict of grade school, those schoolyard fights I have, there's a part of me now that looks back and go, man, like wasn't that a simpler time? Right? Like, oh, if only those were the problems I had to deal with today. Yeah, yeah be encouraged, young people. It just gets worse. Uh, <laughs> I've learned to be afraid of things I didn't even know about back then. Right? I, but here's what I love about it is that God is giving this little bit of perspective of going, hey, the things that overwhelm us, the things that we allow to boil over, these fears that jumble up in us, that when he's saying, be still, it's like, man, That's schoolyard stuff. When you have the perspective that I have and you realize, like, if you can just be still and step back, you're going to get the perspective that this thing does not need to destroy you. That I am so, that God is so much bigger than whatever that struggle is that has me fearful in those moments. Basil the Great, a fourth century bishop, wrote about this psalm, do not flee, what you do not need to flee. I love that, right? He's going, have the perspective that these things are not as overwhelming as we sometimes feel in the moment. In other words, God has got this. Be still and know that he is God. What does this look like practically? How do we practically be still? Everything in our culture screams at us to keep moving, right? We celebrate busyness. We respect the people that can pull off more out of their day than we think is humanly possible. Wouldn't we love to have a few more hours in the day so we can do more stuff? We're constantly going. We keep consuming media. We never just wait, right? Like how many of you, when I get in the grocery line and there's one person ahead of me, I'm like, ugh, right? They're pulling out, keeping, and I'm like, ah, you're killing me. The, what do I do? Do I just stand there and silently wait? No, I pull out my phone. I'm like, well, I, you know, three minutes, God, I might as well use it. I'm going to check the headlines, check, you know, maybe play a little bit of heyday. I don't know. But there's never a dull moment in my life. Last night, I was loading up my phone, again, with podcasts. Why? So that there's never a moment where I'm in the car that I can't be listening to something. Right? That we're constantly feeding ourselves, constantly filling our life with noise. Years ago, I was a resident advisor at our Christian college. It was viewed not just as a rules enforcer, but also as someone who would uh, have kind of a ministry role on the floor. And I remember the first time a guy came to me with help because he was overwhelmed by something or anxious or struggling or or dealing with something. And it was like one o'clock in the morning. It's like knocking at my door. I'm like, 
man, somebody had better, whatever. And, and we have this intense conversation. I help him was pray. He goes back there. It's like 2.30 in the morning. I go to sleep. And like the next week, it happened again with another guy. And this, throughout the semester, I started to pick up on like, man, do these guys ever think about their issues at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon? It's always one o'clock in the morning, and it finally hit me. Why? Because we go, 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 and it wasn't until one o'clock in the morning that they were quiet and alone with who they are and really had to deal with the fear or the anxieties going on in their life. See, everything in our culture pushes us to go, and is it any wonder why we become overwhelmed with fear, overwhelmed with anxiety, overwhelmed with stress? See, God is saying, take time to just stop, to be still, to just cut off all the noise and just breathe. See, I would would challenge you, if this is not a part of your life yet, to begin by just setting aside 15 minutes a day. You could spend it this week reading Psalm 46. You could read it once and reflect for the rest of 15 minutes or you could read it over and over for the 15 minutes and let it just keep washing over you if you're like me that won't necessarily be an easy discipline to build at first but it does come with time one of my favorite things about our student mission trips years ago we were on a mission trip to Maine and and part of the daily schedule was a 30 minute quiet time twice as much as I'm asking you to do 30 minutes every day. And the first time I sent the middle schoolers, it would happen every year. On the Monday, I'd send them out. I was like, all right, it's 30 minutes. Nothing, just you, your Bible, 30 minutes. And, uh, and there was a few things they had to read and answer. And it never failed. Every year, the first day, after five minutes, some of the kids would start coming back. I'm done. Like, I did it. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, yeah, see, I answered all the questions. I read the paths. Like, you know, that we can come at it like it's a task. And I'm going to check it off, and I'm going to be done and move on to the next thing. And they were like, what do we do now? And I was like, well, you still have 25 minutes. Like, what am I going to do for 25 minutes? I was like, I don't know, man. I still got 25 minutes too. Like, you need to just sit there. Read it over and over. Or do nothing. We don't let them bring devices. I was like, just sit there. And uh, here's what I love about that, right? Is because their face is like, this guy is crazy. Like, I don't know what you geezers did back when you were a kid. But, you know, like, but by the end of the week... These same kids that couldn't imagine going more than five minutes, at the end of the 30 minutes, we'd have to be like, hey, is that like we're moving? Like suddenly the same thing they had learned to slow down, right? It's something that we build on, that we learn to do, that we grow. Jesus promises us that we can learn to be still. In John 14, 27, he says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind, and heart. And the peace I give is a gift of the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Jesus promises us this gift of peace, peace that frees us from fear, peace that enables us to be still. And being still comes with the promise of knowing God. So here's what I want to challenge you to do this week. Uh, Regardless of whether or not you're in a time of fear and anxiety, because in a lot of ways, uh, those situations are kind of like a pop quiz, right? That, that when it happens, you don't know when it's going to come. And you can tell the students that are prepared for it or the students that are like me. 
and, and frantically rip open the notes and like, I'm going to try and get all of this into me in seven seconds before we start this quiz. It never worked. I don't understand why. The, uh, if we are preparing, if we're diving, if we're taking this regular time to be still, when the moments of fear happen, we're going to respond to them in a different way than if we scramble to try and, and rush some be still into it in that moment, right? So whether or not you're in a time of fear or anxiety, we can all benefit from knowing God, of growing radical trust through being still. So what I want to do is challenge you, take 15 minutes a day this week. Put it on your calendar. Don't just wait for it to happen. If you wait for it to happen, you're never going to find the 15 minutes. It might be a little earlier in the day. It might be before you go to bed. It might be during your lunch break. It might be mid-afternoon. Whenever it is, but find 15 minutes. To use to be still before God. And if you're not sure what to do with those 15 minutes, do what I said before. Just read through Psalm 46. I'm going to throw some questions up on the screen. Pull out your camera. Take a picture of them. For real. You can pull out your camera and take a picture. And if nobody does it, I'm like, nobody is, nobody is listening today. And it hurts my feelings. The, uh, you don't have to do these questions. If you can fill the 15 minutes by just reflecting on the passage and letting God speak to you through Psalm 46, then that's amazing. But if you're not sure what to do, use some of these questions. You can reflect on all of them or one per day. But use these to kind of help guide you to slow down and consider what's going on in this psalm. And next Sunday... Check in with us. Next Sunday, when you fill out your connection card, just write on there, hey, here's what I learned about being still. Here's what I learned about fear. Here's what I learned about knowing God. And let us know what you experienced through that. Just a little bit of accountability that you're, you're taking it on. As we uh, prepare to close, let our words be the words of David in Psalm 56. But when I am afraid... I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for these psalms and the encouragement that they give us. God, we ask that you would guide us to radical trust in you. That we would be able to have the perspective that you've called us to have. God, we ask that in whatever it is that we're facing, whatever situation, whatever scenario, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's ongoing, whether it's short-term, whether it's a school issue or an issue with a friend or someone who's bullying or whatever it is that's causing fear or anxiety in our life, God, we ask that you would give us the strength to be still, to slow down, to know you, and to depend on you to find our strength and refuge in you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.